What's up, baddie bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Baddie Bee Club. So I woke up in the Baghdad emergency room, and that's where I learned that my leg was gone. But you're still kind of, you know, on these pain meds. You're not really thinking about, like, what your life is going to be like. It's probably not until I got to Walter Reed, and I was there and was able to kind of get out of my hospital room, like, put in a wheelchair. Maybe that's the moment, you know, when you wake up and you're kind of not on the as much of the pain medication. You can actually kind of think about what's happening. And you look down at the sheets and you see not the outline of one leg instead of two legs. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we have Melissa Stockwell, who is a mom, veteran, three-time Paralympian triathlete, Purple Heart recipient, speaker, and author. And today, we are going to hear all about Melissa's story, from her deployment to where she is today and all the lessons she learned in between. Melissa, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So I have actually watched a ton of your interviews. I I am a big fan. Um, and I was really excited when you agreed to come on the podcast. So first, I want to say I'm like fangirling a little bit right in here. But thanks so much for being here. And um, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a short summary about you and what you do? Ah, well, thank yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, I kind of saw a list of others that had been on the podcast, so just kind of pretty honored to be speaking with you. So thank you. So yeah, um, you know, my story, I feel like it can go as long or as short as we wanted. So I will kind of give a brief overview, and then we can kind of dive in deeper where where we need to. So I like to say that I was born a patriot, so I loved our country from a very young age. Um, wanted to give back and serve in the military. And decided to join the ROTC program in college at the University of Colorado. And I graduated and got commissioned as an officer into the Army in uh, May of 2002. A few years later, I was sent off to my first deployment over in Iraq. And um, about three weeks into my time over there, the vehicle I was riding in was struck by a roadside bomb which ultimately resulted in the loss of my left leg above the knee. So kind of, you know, finding, trying to find my, my new normal, how to live life with one leg, ended up at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, where I did the majority of my rehab and realized that I was one of the lucky ones. Uh, you know, I had, had only lost one leg. I had the rest of, you know, two, three good limbs, my mind, my eyesight. I just wanted to live my life the best I could um, to really honor those that had given that ultimate sacrifice. So Learned how how to walk, learned how to run, um, you know, how to was medically retired from the army, and then went on to live a life of sport, which I am very proud um, to be an athlete and live a life of sports. Eighteen years later, it seems kind of crazy, but uh, three time Paralympian in the sports of swimming and triathlon, a mother of two, um, a, a business owner here in Colorado Springs. I, I kind of go around and speak all around the nation and share my story. So. Busy life, good life, but um, it's it's been a journey, and I, I just am thankful every day to kind of wake up and get to do what I love. I have like a thousand questions for you, but I'm going to start from the beginning of. I know that you said you were born a patriot, but why did you decide to do that ROTC program? 
Like what made you want to enlist? When anyone ever asked, like, what do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which I feel like is a common question as a kid. I always said I wanted to be like in the army. So it was just kind of a natural step. When I went out to college freshman year, I saw these cadets marching around campus and just thought, I'm going to make this a reality and, um, and went into the recruiter's office and just kind of made it happen. So it just, you know, it's one of those things I'd always said I was going to do and then actually followed through with it. Yeah. Like magnetized you, you know, to, to do it. Um, and so it was, like you said, two years go by, um, and then you finally get your notice of deployment. Like, how did that feel? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Yeah, all of it. You know, I after September 11th, I knew that the possibility of getting deployed was very high. So it was kind of like I was waiting for it. And when my time came, it was just like, okay, I knew it was going to come and and here it is. And kind of there's all sorts of, there's a lot of pride there to wear the uniform. You know, you want to um, help defend the freedoms we have here but yeah, it's it's scary. You know, you're flying over to the Middle East. You're you know getting off of a plane with all your equipment on, and yeah, there's um all sorts of emotions in there. Yeah, I love your perspective. Like I said, I've I've watched a lot of your interviews, and I was watching one. I can't remember who it was with off the top of my head, but you were describing that um, perspective after um, you had the IED because it was an IED, yep. right? Yeah. Um, you said it was like under some kind of tunnel or bridge or something and IED went off. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Our vehicle, um, we were, I was in a Humvee and we went under a bridge just like we drive, you know, probably many of them a day we go on, we go under without even thinking about it. But there was an IED that was detonated as soon as we went under and that's where, the, that's where, the, that's where it was. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember you describing that, listening to you describe that and say, like you just summarized here in your intro of, um, I really changed my perspective. It had this, you know, not a toxic positivity mindset, but just like, I'm lucky yeah, in the sense of look at everyone else around me. And I think that speaks volumes of your outlook of life and your perspective of life to just say like, Okay, things could have been worse. This sucks, um, but I'm. I feel lucky that it, I'm not one of the worst ones. You know, definitely. You know, I think it, we're so. I think we're so ingrained to just like if we had to have a bad day or something bad happens. You know, you kind of think the worst, but if you kind of just look around, like you can put things into perspective pretty quickly. And we have our bad days, but I mean, I guarantee there's someone around the world that would love to have the bad days that we have that we consider bad. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. at, at Walter Reed, though, yeah, I just had to look around and there were soldiers missing, you know, three limbs, you know, their eyesight. And I realized, wow, like I'm one of the lucky ones. All I lost was was one leg. So it definitely helped with that recovery pretty quite a bit. When was like the first moment that you realized that your life really had changed entirely after you lost your leg. Yeah. Um, so I woke up in the Baghdad emergency room and that's where I learned that my leg was gone. And then, but you're still kind of, you know, on these pain meds. You're not really thinking about like what your life is going to be like. It's probably not until I got to Walter Reed and I was there and kind of was able to kind of get out of my hospital room, like put in a wheelchair I mean, maybe, maybe that's the moment, you know, when you wake up and you're kind of not on the, as much of the pain medication, you can actually kind of think about what's happening and you look down at the sheets and you see not the outline of one leg instead of two legs and you, or, you know, you trying to get up 
and you need to go to the bathroom. Well, you have to get into the wheelchair to make that happen. So it probably it's kind of this like slow realization almost of like what actually happened and how it's going to how dramatically it can impact your life. And how um, long was it after when you when the accident happened, you lost your leg to when you retired from the military? Um, almost a year. So it's um it's it's a long process. Obviously, you know, I had to do the rehab. I had to let my body heal get my prosthetic leg, be independent. But when you leave the military, there's um, the military is wonderful, but a lot of the paperwork stuff takes a long time. So it's a lot of kind of, you know, hurry up and wait as you kind of wait for the medical boards to happen and the paperwork to kind of come through. So a lot of times we're kind of just kind of sitting around waiting for that paperwork, but it was about a year. And it was, it was like April 2004 that the accident happened. And you, I remember reading somewhere that you're the first female American soldier in history to lose a limb in the active combat. Is that, is that right? Yes, that's what I have been told. Um, I'm not sure if, and I've, I've been told that multiple times. I'm not sure if that's like an act. I mean, I, I assume it's somewhere. Yes. Um, so yeah, definitely not a title you ever think you're going to have. Um, but it just happened to happen that way. So I guess I'll kind of, you know, add that, add that title in and be proud of it. Yeah. Take that. Add that. Yeah. <laughs> be proud of that. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but it's, it's, it's an interesting fact when you think about it in 2004. Um, so 2005, you get out and then you have this idea of, Hey, I'm going to be an athlete. And um, again, I was watching one of your interviews and you were talking about your first time in a pool, like back into the pool to be athletic. And I'd love for you to share that with us. Yeah. So we, um, so there was a pool at the hospital. So at Walter Reed, it was a pretty, a pretty small pool, but we, we would kind of get into it for um, just rehabilitation, you know, to just to feel the water and when I got into that pool for the first time, it was just kind of, it had this like healing effect. It, you know, it kind of, I almost forgot that I was missing my leg. I, I, I always loved pools. I was a, um, a swimmer, like an age group swimmer up until like the age of eight when I was younger. So I've always kind of been, I've always loved water. I randomly love the smell of chlorine. So it kind of like drew me in. Um, but yeah, it just had this like healing effect that I just, I loved it. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of, of the water. Yeah, I'm sure it felt a bit freeing because you have a weight a weightlessness to you when you enter the pool. Yeah, definitely. It's like I almost forgot I didn't have a leg. Yeah. And so, when was the decision? Like, you're like, did you just start to be like, okay, I like this. I'm just going to put my energy and mindset into swimming and training, or were you like, I want to be a professional athlete and I'm going to represent para- Paralympics and this is my sport? Like, what came first? Right. How did it happen? So I didn't even know what the Paralympics was, which it's just kind of crazy because it's such a big part of my life right now. But I, um, I heard about the Paralympics a few months after I was at Walter Reed. And, and if I trained hard enough, dedicated myself to a sport that I could compete on, you know, the world's biggest athletic stage. And I'd already kind of been in the pool and swimming before I, you know, listened to, to what I could make happen. And so it was kind of a natural, okay, somehow, some way, I want to, I want to be a Paralympian. I'm in the pool. I'm swimming. Uh, my times are nowhere where they need to be to like make a team, but maybe this is my shot. Maybe this is what I should do. So I kind of 
it kind of came hand in hand. I was kind of already in the pool. I went to the Paralympics and thought, I love it. I have a long way to improve. So why don't we just try to start here and see what we can do? Which is crazy when you think about it, because spoiler alert, you went to Beijing in 2008. So when you think about the timeline of, because you have to qualify a year in advance, is that right? Um, it, it's, it ended up being about six months in advance. Yeah. So, well, April, okay. April, we qualified in April of 08 and we competed in September. So April, May, whatever that ends up being, a few months. Yeah. But still, like you, you essentially had two and a half-ish years to train to be in the Paralympics. Yeah, you're right. Which is mind-blowing <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, I was playing catch-up. You know, a lot of other athletes I was competing against had been swimming for years without the, with their disability. So, yeah, I had to, had to catch up. Um, I learned pretty cool lessons that, you know, dedication, hard work, it, it pays off. You know, I kind of put my whole life on hold to, to train for the 2008 Paralympics in hopes it was going to work. And um and and it did. Sometimes I can't believe it did, but it did. Yeah. And you were the flag bearer for Team USA as well uh, yes. during the closing ceremonies, right? Yep. Yep. So my athletic performance, um, so I made it to the Paralympics in 2008. My athletic performance is not exactly what I would say great. I didn't make finals. I didn't have best times. And, you know, I was pretty disappointed with myself because I made it that far and then I performed pretty poorly. But at the end of the Paralympics, yeah, my teammates nominated me to carry the flag into closing ceremonies. And it was kind of, at that time in my life, that's what was supposed to happen. It kind of proved to me that, you know, it's not all about the medals. It's about the journey to get there and overcoming things that come your way. So it was, um, I mean, one of, it, it, was a, it was a pretty phenomenal moment to be able to carry that flag and represent all of Team USA. Since I had Skylar, I've been trying to eat healthy so I can lose this baby weight. But I also have a sweet tooth and I need something every night that I need to consider as dessert. So every night I've turned to my Sorbabes. Sorbabes is an indulgent soft sorbet bar dipped in candy-like crunchy chocolate shells with crispy inclusions. It's completely dairy-free, vegan, gluten-free, and women-owned and operated. And definitely not your mama's sorbet. Since 2012, when they started scooping out sorbet at farmer's markets, co-founders Deborah and Nicole have been on a mission to reinvent sorbet. Traditionally, an icy cleanser into a decadent treat as creamy as craft ice cream, sans dairy with bursting bold flavors. And I am obsessed. You can find sorbet bars in flavors like wild berry crisp, mango coconut crunch, strawberry crisp, and vanilla caramel crunch. It's sold at HEBs in Texas, Whole Foods in the Pacific Northwest, and coming soon to rallies in Northern California. And they ship nationwide on dried ice coolers. Listeners can grab a buy one, get one coupon for use in stores, or if Sorbabes isn't on the shelves in your areas just yet, enjoy free shipping on any online order. They ship six boxes to any order, so that's 24 bars. Use my code BADASS at checkout, B-A-D-A-S-S. So check it out at sorbabes.com. S-O-R-B-A-B-E-S dot com. 
And then after the Beijing Paralympics, you decided that swimming was too easy. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, I'm going to be a triathlete, which I think is insane. I I look at triathletes of like, and people that do triathlons, I'm like, you're, there's something not right with you. Like you're crazy. Yeah. I used to think the same. (laughs) So like, And now you're now I think that of you. But so like what what even sparked that? Because because like you said, you could have gone back and said, okay, I didn't really make the times I wanted. I didn't win a medal. So I'm going to like double down and just really drive into swimming. But no, you're like, I'm going to add riding and biking to this. Like, why? Why did you decide that? Um, So after the after the Beijing Paralympics in 2008, um, there's a there's an organi- organization called the Challenged Athletes Foundation, and they are based out of California. And they help athletes with physical disabilities and get into all sports, but triathlon is kind of their focus. And they had this kind of subset for wounded veterans. So in 2009, I was, in- I was invited by them to come do a triathlon. And I was like, oh my gosh, like triathletes are crazy. Like you said, like who wants to do all that at the same time, the same day? But I kind of always up for a challenge. So I went out to California. I did my first race, my first triathlon, and I crossed the finish line, and I was just um, hooked from the start. I love the challenge of all three sports. It added that variety instead of just swimming. I got to swim in an ocean instead of in a pool, and I got to be on the same course at the same time as like able-bodied athletes. And I crossed the finish line, and I was just, uh, I, I was hooked. It was, um, I knew that that was going to be my new kind of my new passion. Yeah. I don't know. I can never do it. I bet you could. <laughs> I'm just out I'm just out here. I just had a uh my fourth kid. I'm just out here trying to get three miles walking after a giving birth. Hey, you know what? You you take pride in that. That is three miles. That's a lot. Yep. I mean, very true. I'm sweating at the end of it. I do. I, I give myself a big high five for that. There's a uh eight-ish years until you go back. To the Paralympics, right? Because the next one that you go to is Rio, but I'm sure there's a lot that happens in between those eight years. You are, you're, I know you're married. I know you have two kids. So did you get married in between that or were you married early? Like when, 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 when did you actually get married and, and have your first baby? So I was married when I lost my leg to my ex-husband. We ended up getting a divorce um, a few years later. And now I have, I'm remarried and, uh, and we have two kids. So so yeah, so 20, I'm trying to think of the timeline. So I think I got divorced in maybe 2011, 2012, or 2011, I believe. And then um, the whole time I've been, I'm doing triathlon though, you know, kind of competing around the world at various events. And then I got remarried in um, 2015. Um, we had my son, I was pregnant with my son in 2014. So we kind of did things backward, had my son. Then we got married, and then two years later um, was the Rio Paralympics. So it was this whole journey of trying to get back into shape after having a baby, which I joke, it's it's like real. It's like harder was harder than coming back and learning how to you know walk with a prosthetic leg because anyone that's had a baby, you know, it changes everything: um, your life, your mindset, your body, everything. everything. So kind of getting into back into that like peak athletic shape was was a challenge. So it was a long shot to make the team, but. But, but I did. It worked. That's amazing. And I totally agree. Like I said, I just had my fourth kid. And actually, I had my first in 2014. When, when's, your, when's your first one born? What month? November. November 25th, Thanksgiving, yeah. Mine's March um, 2014. But yeah, you're, it's, it's like a, a huge injury 
that you have to recover from. And I never really thought of that in this in that perspective. I think my first two kids, I was super hard on myself to like, because I was also an athlete, uh-huh. not uh, a professional athlete, but I played D1 lacrosse. But but um, yeah, it, it, someone once told me, it's like, you know, you have a, a plate size hole in, yeah. your, in your uterus that needs to heal. Like you need to give yourself right. some grace. <laughs> and I never thought of it that way because you only see on the outside. I, I haven't either, actually. That's- yeah, I'm like, you're right. I literally, there is. It's this huge hole that, and and another big hole that has to close up and heal and stitch. Anyway, it is it is hard. So, out of curiosity, your your first marriage, since you were married when you had um, when you were when you had your accident, did you feel like the journey of recovering was? like a huge impact on the success of the marriage? Or was it, um, you know, your focus and dedication to be the athlete that you are today? Um, you know, so obviously, so my um, ex-husband was in the military as well. And I honestly, I credit him with on, we're getting me through that recovery part. I mean, he was phenomenal by my side. From, I mean, day one, from that Baghdad emergency room through, you know, me standing up and walking and running and doing, I mean, he was, he was my rock. So I credit him with, you know, kind of getting me through those really tough, tough times and ultimately leading to where I am now, I think. Um, I think at some point, like, so we got married really young, you know, I was 23 years old, we were military, so we wanted to be stationed together. So married pretty young and obviously you kind of grow apart or or you you don't really know who you are and when you're 23 years old and then you had this you know huge you know loss of of a leg this huge trauma in there and i early on i i, I was pretty dependent on on him and then as time went on i wanted to be more and more independent and to be able to do things on my own so i think all of that kind of plays into it um you know, I would never wish divorce on anybody, whatever the reason. It's it's hard. It was, you know, one of the most challenging things I've ever had to deal with. But it's been, you know, 10 plus years. And I look back and I'm so lucky. I, I just feel fortunate because I'm so happy to where I am now. And I've been able to kind of look back and, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for my ex-husband in my life. But I, I'm grateful also that um, on where it's led me now. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes there are certain people's people in our lives that are meant to get us through certain phases. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you you have to credit it, but at the same time not hold on to that just because you feel indebted or that you owe someone something. It's um I think that like you said is I can imagine that being very very difficult to move on to the next phase with somebody else. Um, I too am divorced, so I can relate sure. to those changes. So you had your son, right? In 2014? Yep. Okay. And then you're like whipping your body into shape to qualify. And then you do qualify and you enter the 2016 Rio uh, Paralympics. And how did that go for you? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. So I was a long shot to make the team again, like this new mom trying to get back and ended up qualifying though. And of all days that the race could have taken place in Rio, it was September 11th. So you just kind of imagine the meaning of being in the military and just what all that means. So in Rio, September 11th, 2016, had that Team USA uniform on, knowing that the race is about so much more than than me. It's about, you know, 
wanting to honor those that gave that ultimate sacrifice and ended up coming across the finish line in third. So getting a bronze medal, but it felt like my own personal gold on this incredible day. My teammates got gold and silver. It was a USA sweep on September 11th. We got to stand on the podium and see three American flags go up as we heard the national anthem. My family and friends were there. And I mean, it'll go down as, I mean, one of the greatest moments of my life for sure. Yeah. What a full circle because you entered the military because you love this country. You love that uniform. And then on September 11th of 2016, you and your two fellow uh, racers are standing there wearing a different uniform for the U.S. representing in a different way, but still having a lot of similar meaning to it. So what a powerful, like, full circle of events for you. I agree. And I mean, and I felt it on that podium, you know, the whole journey from Baghdad and then I competed in Beijing, but it didn't go well for me athletically. And then I'd be back on the or to be on the podium in Rio on September 11th. I mean, it, it kind of, it totally came full circle. It was, it was amazing. Just like the pristine definition of grit and perseverance, really. So, and since representing Team USA, you have co-founded a nonprofit organization, Dare to Try, um, T-R-I. So I would love for you to tell us more about your organization and why you wanted to start it. Yeah. So in 2010, two friends and I, we were all based out of Chicago at the time, and we knew the impact of sports on on anybody, but especially somebody with a disability, just like how much self-confidence, self-worth they could give them. We were all triathletes. So we thought, well, why don't we start this triathlon club for athletes with physical disabilities? So Dare to Try, um, D-A-R-E, the number two, T-R-I, um, was born. And the mission is to get athletes with with physical disabilities into the sport of triathlon. And we we um, help fund the expensive adaptive equipment, the coaching, the training, sometimes just something as simple as transportation to a race. We have year-round program- programming. We have um, camps that serve youth, adults, injured service members in the summer. I mean, this many, 10 or 12 years later, we have served, I mean, thousands of athletes around the nation. We have had athletes that have gone to the Paralympic Games and started with us. Um, You know, our motto is one inspires many. And it just kind of, you know, our athletes inspire both on and off the race course. But to give back in that way and just to kind of show whether it's that next generation of youth athletes, maybe it's a newly injured service member that their injury, well, it is a part of them. It doesn't have to define them. We help show them how much ability is in their disability. And it's just one of my, definitely one of my proudest professional accomplishments. You're giving such an amazing gift to people who are walking in the same shoes as you or the same path or moving in the same path as you. Um, And I think that's so lovely. So uh, just out of curiosity, because I would love my listeners to know, is there like a way that we can donate or a way that we can give back? Um, So www.dare, the number two, T-R-I, dot com that that you can obviously we we're a nonprofit so we're fully you know self funded um any money donated will go directly towards impacting our athletes getting an athlete with a physical disability maybe to the starting line of a race maybe it helps provide them with with uh, an adaptive bike so they can go bike with their kids um, around the neighborhood so 
Yes. And if they're in the Chicago land area, um, all of our programming is pretty much based out of Chicago. And we are always looking for volunteers. You don't have to be a triathlete. Like we have other roles that you can fill. So yes, um, check out the website and hopefully you'll find some interest. Cool. Thanks. I'm uh, I'm glad you shared that. So the other thing is, is that you are uh, an author and you wrote a book. I don't know what year you wrote the book. Um, I have the title. It is The Power of Choice, My Journey from Wounded Warrior to World Champion. What? When did you write this? I'm sure. I mean, was it after Rio or? Yep. So we kind of um, did the majority of the writing in 2019. The goal was that it was going to come out kind of right around the Olympics in 2020, but then COVID happened. So everything got postponed. So it just kind of came out on some random day in 2020. I think I got, you know, the first box of books I'd ever seen. And like, it was summer 2020, I don't know, June. I remember it was a hot day. I was like dripping sweat and I came home and there was this box of books. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's my book. So it was, um, yeah, just kind of <laughs> kind of ended up having just to pick this like random day because COVID kind of threw everything up in the air. But still pretty surreal to see it in print. Um, you know, it obviously talks a little bit, goes into detail on my own story, and the hope is that the uh, you know the reader finishes it, thinks about their own life, and just how we have the power of choice to choose um, to live the life that we want to live. Yeah, I I love that. And what's like what's next for you? What are you are you going to just grow the dare to try? Are you going to write more books? Are you doing more speaking events? Like what what does the next couple of years look like for you? What's next? Yeah. So um, so my family and I moved out to Colorado Springs in 2019. So I'm training at the Olympic Training Center still. Um, I competed in Tokyo in 2021. I'm still going in hopes of Paris in 2024. Um, so my days revolve around training. I am getting, you know, I am one of the older ones, um, you know, and one of the only ones that's competing that has a family in my in my disability class. So it can be a challenge with that juggle. But you know, so trying to get to Paris 2024, um, I do travel a good amount to tell, share my story as a motivational speaker, kind of for various companies around the nation. Um, obviously, trying to be the best mom I can be. And my husband and I have our own prosthetic company here in Colorado Springs, where we fit, you know, local um, members of the local community, elite athletes, kind of youth, youth and adults um, with prosthetic and orthotic devices. So, Days are busy, but but they're good. How do you handle like all of the things that you're doing, especially being a mom? As a mom, I I can totally understand. I'm definitely in a lot of different, you know, pots per se, trying to cook in right. the kitchen. But what are some advice or tips that have worked for you? You know, I think the biggest thing, yeah, I get, I get asked a decent amount, like, well, how do you do it all? And like you, you can never do it all, but what you like, I mean, there's a certain number of hours in the day and we all, we all have the same amount of hours, but I think you find like what you're most passionate about or like what fills you up. Obviously there's things like as a parent, that should be your top priority. Obviously we have to, you know, make money so we can live. So those are things that, that obviously have to happen. But outside of that, like you find the time for, for things that you enjoy so the biggest complaint I often hear is there's just not enough time in the day and the days are busy, but, but if it's means enough to you, like you will find the time to do it. So, I mean, every night before I go to bed, I look at the next day and, you know, every hour has its own like time slot of something that, that has to be done. And that's just, it works for me. And um, it's a, you know, and it, it kind of helps me see it laid out, but I'm fortunate enough to have a great team of people. My husband's amazing. We have a great, great network of, of friends that, that can help out and babysitters. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's busy. And, you know, there's not much time to just kind of sit and do nothing. When I have those moments, it's kind of like a, like, what, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't know how to just sit and do nothing. I think a lot of parents have that struggle with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what is something that you would say to women that are going through unexpected changes and not necessarily physically to their body, but just in general? Yeah. I mean, change, first you can first it's, it's recognize that change is hard. I mean, you don't have to just like it, you don't have to sugarcoat it. Like change is hard. These ob, like obstacles that come our way. Like I had a roadside bomb come into my own life, and it's my hope that none of no one out there listening ever has their own actual roadside bomb. But there's like these metaphoric roadside bombs, right? And COVID was one of them. Um, divorce is definitely one of them. Loss of a loved one. Things that we don't expect, and they kind of force you to change, but. What they also do is force you to grow because like COVID, we got through it. Like we're on the other side of it and we made it through like divorce. Like we made it through that and it was hard and there was a lot of change, but because of it, I like to think that we are stronger because of it. So um, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit on the things that we are all capable of doing. So find a team of people that love you and support you, believe in yourself, like accept that it's hard, um, but know that you can get through it and just wake up every day. Like we're so ingrained to think of like the negative parts of pieces of our lives and what's happening, but like, there's so much good also. So like for every negative you thought, think, think of something good also. And it's something sometimes just as simple as like a roof over our head, like how lucky we are to have food on the table in the morning, like these little simple pleasures that we often take for granted, but we're just lucky to live the life that we do. And sometimes you just have to like look around, put it in perspective and just like take a moment to recognize that. Yeah. Something I always have to remind myself for, because I am very hard on myself. Something I always remind myself is that to give myself the same grace that I give Yes. Others. And it's so hard to um, do because that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to do right. it. It's so hard, but you're the most important person because if you're not taken care of then you can't take care of anybody else um and as a mom i just have to remind myself like give yourself the same advice and uh grace and compliments that you would do anyone else going through what you're going through and and accept it and take it but i like you i love your your feedback here so um where where can everyone find you like are i know you you shared the dare to try Mm -hmm. What's your Instagram? What are other websites people can yeah, find you? Uh, so I have a website, just melissastockwell.com. Um, Instagram and Twitter is just mstockwell, S-T-O-C-K-W-E-L-L-0-1. And then Facebook is just Melissa Stockwell USA. Um, but yeah, I do post you know regular glimpses of my own life, of being a parent, an elite athlete, and a speaker and business owner. So um, it's good. Hopefully you guys will will enjoy following along. And if you could have anyone listening get one piece of advice from this episode, what would it be, Melissa? Um, gosh, just that that whatever you want to go do, like whatever you dream to do, whether it's today or tomorrow, like like you can you can do it. I mean, go for it. Like take those steps to go for it. And if you don't make it happen and you fall short, then that is okay. You'll learn something about yourself and you'll find a new goal and a new dream. So just never never sell yourself short. You can, you can get out there and do whatever it is you want to do. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Melissa. You are one badass basic bitch and I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was great chatting. 
As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Badass Basic Bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. Thank you.